Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit ViralGrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. So we're entering holiday season, but the holidays started way earlier in online boo shopping. I'll never forget early in the pandemic, I reached out to Wayne who leads e-commerce at Constellation Brands. And he informed me that the week of March 15th, they did more online sales than they did on Super Bowl Sunday. Could that be because they own the brand Corona? That could be. But luckily, I work with other liquor brands who confirm the same thing. Same here. There's definitely been a correlation between staying at home and drinking at home. Drink responsibly, folks. But I think that the interesting thing about booze and online shopping uh, is obviously not just the fun part around it, but is actually all of the legality that goes into it. Like selling alcohol online and anything cannabis CBD related, it's a totally different ballgame. In the States, if you deal with global brands, the rules vary tremendously. And even within the States, the rules do vary. I think, you know, when you look at the model for, you know, a place like Drizzly Mini Bar, they are struggling with all of these different rules by state. But then you start going country by country and it is a labyrinth. Yeah. And so today, Wayne takes everyone through the three-tier system It's really fascinating. It's crazy how these laws go all the way back to prohibition. And man, do these rules have to change. But they create wild dynamics for e-commerce that if you're e-com nerds like Sarah and I, you're going to find really fascinating. So let's bring Wayne onto the show. Wayne, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, what's been great about COVID, Wayne, is that I've actually been able to Zoom with you a few times in our different e-com social groups. And in preparing for this talk, 
it was wild to look at your background and not say, this man must be an expert in pandemic shopping. On your resume, you obviously are currently leading e-commerce at Constellation Brands. And before that, you had similar roles at Walgreens and Target. How have all of these past experiences and your current role prepared you for this strange moment that we're all living through right now when it comes to online shopping? Yeah, I think a lot of it humbly is just being at the right place at the right time and, and just being ready for all of this and, and all the people that have been able to shape my career. I think it really comes down to a couple of things. Firstly, you know, no one's ever fully prepared and, and recognizing the more you know, the more you don't know. And I've been very fortunate to kind of surround myself with a team and, and the talent that can challenge my thinking and, and really empower them with everything that's going on right now it's important as a leader that you don't take on everything. And it's important as a leader, kind of first and foremost, that you kind of create the conditions for a team to win. I'm a big mountain climber, so I, I have a healthy dose of paranoia. And so this time has also allowed me to have maybe a little bit of a spin on that, a, a positive paranoia and better understanding and seeking out what I'm not doing uh, that better serves our consumers and, and customers and, and making sure that we then kind of pivot to this idea of, execution, right? You can be on the Zoom calls, you can be emailing back and forth, but at a certain point, it's all about execution. And it's okay to be directionally right, but specifically wrong. Now is the time to kind of move with, with speed and purpose. So a lot of the great experiences have, have positioned my team and our organization to be, uh, to be kind of thriving in as much as possible in the current situation we find ourselves in. Well, they say, don't let a good crisis go to waste. You said one weekend in mid-March that Constellation Brands did more online sales than Super Bowl weekend. How has that growth trend continued and how do you capitalize on the opportunities from a corporate perspective? So there's definitely a surge in the March-April timeframe and, and that has come down. You know, sales are still up three and a half times to four times up uh, compared to where they were from a run rate standpoint in January, February. But as you probably heard from other prognosticators, other people in the field, that what's happened has been an accelerant, and it's been a complete step change. So uh, it was interesting. We were looking at some of our results, and July was actually down just a little bit compared to June, but we're still up you know, three and a half times you know, year over year. So a lot of this has, has brought that future forward by quite a bit. We continue to feel really confident with the brands that we have. And now it's just about making sure we're serving the consumers wherever they may be and however they may want to shop. In online liquor shopping, it's not as simple as just serving the consumer. You have so many legalities to work through compared to other consumer categories. I'm going to make an assumption right now. I don't know if all of our listeners actually know about the three-tiered system that you have to navigate every single day. Can you share with everyone what this three-tiered system is when it comes to alcohol and what that means for e-commerce and the things that you have to think about every day? Yeah, I, I think what's unique about beverage alcohol in the U.S. is that it's definitely a more difficult category to scale compared to selling cosmetics or multivitamins uh, online where you, you essentially can go national tomorrow if you wanted to. But basically, the three-tier systems speak to the three tiers that you have. First is the supplier which would be the, the brewer, the winemaker, the distillery. The second tier is the distributor. And then the third tier is the 
customer, which may be a, a store, a restaurant, a stadium, a nightclub, a bar, et cetera. And those are the three tiers. And this was set up after prohibition to accommodate what came out of prohibition. And so there's the, a fundamental piece, which is called tight house laws, which first of all, uh, prohibits suppliers from being able to pay retailers. So a lot of these programs that you hear about Amazon Media Group and, and Walmart Media Group or Rondell, which is the Target equivalent, beverage alcohol cannot participate in that. And then there's a lot of nuances in terms of what you can do in each state. Every state, and sometimes at the county level, will have different rules. And again, that makes it a little bit more challenging from being able to scale uh, some of these exciting uh, national programs. And you definitely have to be, have a closer ear to the ground on, on some of the legalities. One simple example is that in many states, you cannot drive a consumer or link the consumer to a retailer website. That is considered giving something exclusive or exclusionary. And part of this is, is working with our regulators to oxygenate and modernize some of these rules, or at least the interpretation of these rules that were written in the, in the 30s, but also making sure that we continue to build strong brands that follow the, the current legal framework. Just to double click into something that you just said. Now, you can't run trade marketing programs with Walmart and Target. But how come brands like Constellation can do that with someone like Drizzly? Yeah, it, it comes down to the Tidehouse laws have restrictions when you do business or uh, you cannot drive to people that have a liquor license. And so technically, Drizzly and Instacart are marketplaces and do not have liquor licenses. So therefore, it is not held uh, to the same limitations that you would have when you're dealing with a, a retailer or a restaurant or a bar that does have a liquor license. So with, without the bars events, you are now the hero at Constellation Brands. You're the source of growth. How have you found this newfound popularity, this newfound scrutiny? How do you get people to, within the organization even, to understand all the different levers that you're looking to pull right now to effectively manage this growth? Sarah, I joined the organization about two and a half years ago. It was a purposeful investment, investing ahead of the growth so that we stayed on our toes and, and we're not on our heels. And I think there's a great Warren Buffett quote, and he's talking more about corporate debt and leverage. But I think it applies to some of the work that we've done in e-commerce, where he basically says, only when the tide goes out, you find out who has been swimming naked. <laughs> and I think the pandemic has revealed and showed what suppliers, what retailers uh, have been swimming naked and, and not thinking about e-commerce. So we definitely have made the requisite investments over the past two years, have been able to enter to the extent uh, that you can enter a pandemic with momentum and, and we've been able to really propel our brands and make sure that we're part of the economic solution, frankly, for the economy coming out of it. So uh, a lot of the shifts that we've had to make from a sponsorship standpoint, from a marketing activation, we've definitely gone digital and we, we've leaned into e-commerce marketing, uh, but we still kind of maintain that holistic perspective of what's the best way to build brands with consumers. You know, recognizing that uh, what happened with the, with the pandemic doesn't mean everyone is going e-commerce only, uh, that it, it really is working with your peers, kind of conducting an orchestra of where is the best places to, to place your marketing investments. So with that in mind, who have become your new best friends at work, people you may not have worked with before, regardless of how prepared you were, I guess, 
while you were swimming in the ocean? Yeah, I, I think it's really, Sarah, deepened a lot of connections with an organization. I think understandably, whether it was someone in sales or marketing, e-commerce and digital was always on the list, but maybe it wasn't in the top five, right? It was something that, oh, we'll get to it. Or once I get through a couple of these fires, I will be able to get to it. And this has really thrust the development or the development has really thrust e-commerce and digital to the toolkit that a lot of our team members are using. So uh, whether it is the digital shelf of management on a particular retailer's website, that has kind of been thrust front and center with a lot of accounts where they're now thinking about not only walking the store shelves, but also walking the digital shelves because they're recognizing that's where consumers are going. So I, I don't think there's any kind of new relationship. It's really just kind of deep into relationship. And I think uh, in a good way, the light bulb has, has kind of gone off for a lot of our cross-functional partners who don't live and breathe this every day. So one of my favorite headlines during COVID in regards to Constellation Brands was not just around all the news, the fact that you guys sell Corona beer, but it was that you made an acquisition during this time. And it was acquiring Gary Vaynerchuk's Empathy Wines, which is a direct-to-consumer business. Why did Constellation Brands make this acquisition? Yeah, you know, it, it's a lot of just kind of fortuitous timing. We, we were actually already in discussion uh, with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and his team on acquiring Empathy Wines before the pandemic. And so it was just kind of good timing. Um, regardless of the pandemic, it was a recognition that the magic really happens when you can build one-to-one relationships with consumers. I think a lot of consumer packaged goods or CPG brands tend to live it historically in this kind of wholesale world where I sell to an account and I really don't know what happens afterwards. I kind of know from a focus group standpoint, I may get some visibility with some retailer POS, but you don't really have a one-to-one relationship. So uh, it wasn't just a tech play as much as people talk about DTC as a tech play. It was really a relationship play. And this allows us to really manage our consumer relationships, manage the data, uh, and treat that consumer relationship as an asset. You know, fundamentally, acquiring that consumer and the relationship is more important than that one-time transactional sale that they may make at a retailer. So this relationship is now part of our business and allows us to showcase the best of our brand, the pinnacle expression of our brand, and we can test new innovations, strengthen our consumer relationships, and then amplify that with the rest of our wholesale business, whether that's kind of e-commerce or with some of the brick and mortar retailers out there. So if I'm following what you're saying, you're using first party data that's going to come through your D2C business to drive innovation, but inevitably some of those products might end up in wholesale and marketplace retail. Is that sort of the vision? Yeah, I think it's the recognition that the DTC world is as much as a commerce channel uh, as a relationship and consumer development uh, channel. And we will see a lot of success selling to consumers directly, but it's also an opportunity to be as a sandbox, right? And we can treat it like an advanced scouting team and deepen the relationships and find new consumers. And if we are able to come out with new products that really resonate with consumers, we can then be more successful bringing it to wholesalers, our distributors, and our retailer customers with a defined population Mm -hmm. of consumers that are already buying the brand. This helps with that dynamic where we're no longer trying to push a product, 
but it's actually being pulled in because you have the retailer gatekeeper saying, hey, I see this product out there. A lot of consumers are buying it. There's a lot of chatter on social media about this product. I want to start carrying that. Um, so that kind of helps deepen and improves almost our relationship with being able to sell in new products to, to our different customers out there. And with D2C and alcohol, are you only able to do that right now within wine or can you do it in other categories as well? Yeah, that, that's where it gets complicated real fast, right? As much as we talk about the three-tier system and alcohol, uh, you, you do have the complexities when it comes to beer, wine, and spirits. And there's this kind of new alternative category uh, where you hear the vodka sodas and the seltzers. And a lot of this is judged based off of the ABV or the how much alcohol by volume there is in there. But DTC is primarily a wine play. And one thing to clarify, when I say DTC, I'm talking primarily from a fulfillment standpoint, right? Uh, shipping directly to consumers. For beer and spirits, you're more limited geographically. Typically, it has to be within a certain area of the location or sometimes only within the state boundaries. Uh, but for us, DTC is not just about selling directly to consumers. It's about building the relationship. And we, we can do DTC by that definition with our beer brands and our spirits brands so that we better understand what consumers are looking for. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, for goodness sakes, if Beyond Meat can figure out how to get a DTC business up and running, surely we can figure out all of the craziness of the three-tier system. I was blown away by that, the idea of just being able to buy an entire box of, well, I guess, fake beef delivered to my house. So I'm actually quite excited about that. As we start looking, you mentioned the digital shelf earlier. You know, it brings a lot of newer brands, a lot of ankle biters. How do you educate internally the differences between a typical planogram, Catman, things that have decades of background versus digital shelf and what brand discovery means today? Yeah, I think where we've had success, Sarah, is really trying to draw as many parallels and equivalents to the brick and mortar world, right? You have sales professionals in your organization have known the kind of brick and mortar planogram setup and this e-commerce dynamic search results world is a real kind of paradigm shift. And the example I like to give is if you are a product and you happen to be out of stock at your local Safeway or your local Walmart, those are missed sales, but you probably have that planogram spot for the next you know, six months regardless of what happens from an inventory standpoint. But in the online world, the search engine punishes you immediately if you're out of stock, right? Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter if you're the number one seller, number two seller, you'll get chucked all the way to the back of the search results. So all of a sudden, all the different levers that make a brand successful from a digital shelf standpoint become even more pronounced uh, in the online world compared to, to the kind of classic brick and mortar world. So it just requires new ways of working. It requires an appreciation uh, for data. It requires an appreciation for, frankly, algorithms and getting behind that term, what it may mean for one retailer compared to another. Very similar to how one retailer may have a different merchandising flow or merchandising philosophy compared to another one. Uh, Every retailer has the same thing within their e-commerce world, their search results, their merchandising experience, and just overall user experience. Wayne? Do you feel like there's transparency between brands and retailers on how their algorithms work? Um, I, I think it's quite opaque right now. There's a lot of 
a secret sauce, if you will. And, and I would challenge a lot of our retailer partners uh, if they really know <laughs> what is their algorithm and, and what goes into it. Um, very similar to uh, what you may see with Google uh, and, and trying to decipher their search engine. There's a lot of key criteria and inputs that go into it. And then the, the kind of forensic element is trying to better understand what is being weighted more heavily with one retailer versus another. Mm -hmm. But whether it's in stocks, whether it's product content, text match relevancy, uh, just general product velocity, price, all these things kind of go into this cocktail that brands need to kind of decipher for each individual retailer. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned inventory being one of those levers, something that we're seeing at Micmac. I know Sarah's seeing at Papatero and Drizzly has even come out and spoken about it is this consumer behavior of when liquor brands are out of stock, consumer puts another whiskey or beer in their cart because it's about needs, not wants right now during COVID. And with on-premise being eliminated in much of the U.S. over the last six months, I'm curious how Constellation Brands is navigating introducing new brands, SKUs, flavor profiles, since sampling is much more difficult now. Yeah, so one of the things that we focused on is, and you saw this during the beginning of the pandemic during the stock up, is this flight to the familiar, right? It wasn't really the time when consumers were discovering new brands. It was, please remove one pure decision point I need to make in my life. I'm just going to go with a brand, the favorite cereal brand, the favorite yogurt brand, the favorite beer, wine, or spirits brand. And we feel really good about what we had in our portfolio. Now, looking forward, as we've kind of all settled into this new normal, uh, we're, we're really starting to think about uh, where is the opportunity to build on existing brand equities and relationships. And you've seen that with our Corona hard seltzer, uh, leveraging that Corona beach state of mind, that, that state of mind of relaxation, and, and now tying that to the hard seltzer category. And then other uh, parts of the category we, where we found like there's a niche, there is no consumer need being met right now. And it's an opportunity for us to, to bring some new brand equities into the market. But it, it's definitely a dynamic space right now. I don't think anyone can conclusively say they have the answer. Uh, you see new uh, iterations or new incarnations of sampling. Um, and we'll definitely want to be part of the economic solution, but, but also recognize we do not have a monopoly on all the different ideas and ways of, of bringing new products to the market. Keeping all of your background in mind, it seems like you would be a good person to ask a forecasting question to, or at least to put forth a prediction. So if you were to invest in the future of e-commerce, what do you think this industry is gonna look like? I'm gonna say two years out, some people like five years out, but I just think that's just way too far. I can't plan beyond 24 months, I can't plan beyond the end of the week. But what do you see, you know, in the coming months and maybe a couple of years? How are you planning now for the future in the same way that you were planning for today a couple of years ago? Yeah, I, I think if I had to invest in a particular area, and I don't know if this solution actually exists quite yet, Sarah, but the solution around real anticipatory commerce, knowing when a consumer is done with a product, and so this kind of goes beyond whether it gets delivered by drones or all the different excitements in terms of fulfillment, but really just fundamentally and understanding when a consumer is done with a product and needs a new product. You might have heard this in the CPG world of that last razor blade problem 
or the empty shampoo bottle problem. Uh, this requires a lot of building of trust with the consumer to get that data, but being to understand that almost like the digestive system of your household of what is being purchased and how fast it's being consumed, whoever can really solve for that and being at that moment of need to say, hey, you ran out of beer, right? Or you just ran out of shampoo. Let me fulfill that for you right now is definitely going to win, in my opinion, a disproportionate number of purchases going forward. So you're saying those smart fridges that we saw 10 years ago at CES are really the keys to the castle? Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. I I think as they came out, uh, it seems like only yesterday, but they've been around for a while. It was really more from an alert and informed standpoint, but being able to tie that full ecosystem now to say, look, I know this is your favorite brand of milk or this is your favorite brand of cereal and you're, and I scan the box. I know that you're about to be done and you don't need to make that last minute purchase going to a grocery store or convenience store to buy it. We're already going to be sending it to you. I, I think is that way to maintain that stickiness for any brand with that relationship because you're not opening yourself up to a potential substitute coming in. I totally agree with that. You know, we do a lot of work within coffee and home cleaning supplies. And that's a key way that we're helping brands remarket right now around replenishment. One of the things I always like to ask people is what's the either last thing they bought on e-commerce or the craziest thing they bought on e-commerce just since the pandemic? Yeah. So the last thing that we bought uh, was a rug. And so just as people are talking about, oh, I can't believe you can buy a mattress online uh, we, we did do that a couple of months ago. The last thing that we bought was a rug uh, online uh, for outdoor deck because during the pandemic, it's helped everyone really refine the need towards nesting. And I know everyone is upgrading or renovating uh, how their home office or their just home situation uh, could look like. And, and we've, uh, we bought a rug. I think the craziest thing that we've ever bought online can't think of anything totally crazy uh, other than just thinking about all the new categories that people just keep on buying that a couple of years ago, you couldn't have imagined uh, buying online. So the rug is probably out there um, or, or that we purchased uh, you know, just this past week. Literally yesterday, I bought a 16 foot outdoor extension cord for my apartment in New York City because we have a second floor roof deck, but the plug is inside the like members lounge. Yeah. And so I'm going to be this person with this huge extension cord going out to the deck because I want to work outside. Yeah. Well, I I look forward to the day when we we have true wireless electricity, just that we have Wi-Fi. And I was talking to a friend about this concept of wireless electricity. And they're like, Wayne, I think it's called lightning. I was like, oh, that's right. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, we may need to adapt that a little bit. You know, one of the things that that we saw back in in April, you want to talk about like trying to meet the needs of consumers. We, we did this track of the quarantine consumer and matching that against both Maslow's hierarchy of needs and search volume. So of course, in the beginning, you see things like disinfectants and, you know, masks and things like that. And then you start seeing the pantry packing, people stocking up on you know, beer, but also canned foods as if it's like a hurricane. And then we started seeing this confluence in the UK in particular, just because they have more lax laws as it relates to alcohol delivery, especially on Amazon, of people buying massive surge for beer, wine, and trampolines. 
And we're like, that's a really interesting combo. Let's try to see what we can do from a consumer experience. Is that the parents having beer and wine and the kids on the trampolines? Or is everybody having the beer, wine, and trampolines? Or is it just adults having beer, wine, and trampolines? Like that's where your data-driven storytelling really can take a turn for the worst. But it was just pretty funny to see the confluence of that before they started getting to the higher order needs, like an outdoor rug or pimping your backyard or you know making your office experience a little nicer, whether that's a roof deck or just upgrading your, your chair. I just bought a gaming chair. And not that I'm a gamer, but I bought it as my office chair because it's so freaking comfortable. So new use cases, new usage occasions. Yeah, to your point around Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're definitely seeing people upgrading their home offices, right? Mouse pads, you know, keyboards, laptop stands, and even this office right here at home, we used to have the gray walls and we were okay with that. And we're like, if we're going to be kind of in this situation, we should paint the walls just so they have a little bit more character. So that's been a good uh, team building activity with the spouse uh, doing some painting. We've concluded that she's really good at painting and I'm really good at at putting uh, down painter's tape. (laughs) Sounds like a perfect match. Wayne, my favorite question, because we really get to know people through this question. What's the bravest thing that you've ever done it could be personal or professional. Um, I, I want to answer it two ways. I think personally, I'm a big mountain climber and I've been in some very hairy situations. <laughs> um, so I've had to persevere through some bad weather and, and, and different types of obstacles. Professionally, I, I had a really good gig uh, at Walgreens leading a fantastic team and the opportunity presented itself to go from the retailer side over to the supplier side into a category that I was more of a consumer of than necessarily really understanding it. And I I couldn't have been more happy than that move for me professionally, building out the team, seeing the success that we've had over the past two and a half years. And it's really helped me refine my thinking. And for all the listeners out there that, you know, regret is often not from taking action, uh, but it's from inaction. And you will look back in your life and regret is, is often because you didn't do something as opposed to you know the actions that you took. Wayne, thank you so much for spending time with Sarah and I. I always feel that I learned something from you. Folks, if you want to learn about alcohol and e-com, Wayne is the guy to follow on LinkedIn and everywhere else. And I'm sure our listeners learned a tremendous amount today. I will tell you one, one last little story. My birthday was recently. And my husband said, I have two gifts for you. One's a fun gift and one's a practical gift. The fun gift was, and I don't know that this is officially licensed, but the fun gift was these Coronita covers that turn your Coronita holder into a salt and pepper shaker. (laughs) Oh, cool. I don't know if you, I'm guessing he got it on like Etsy or something like that. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. So you could just kind of see where my overall, my consumer behavior is going. If he, cause he bought me, he bought me a pack of a dozen. So I'm like, what do you think is happening in my life that I need 12 salt and pepper shakers? Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was a fun gift. Yeah. Well, well th- thanks for having me. And, I know, Sarah, you just talked about the Coronitas. We launched a couple months ago the Modelitos. So Modelo is one of the fastest growing beer brands in the country. So we've launched a seven-ounce version of the Modelo beer that 
speaks to the same types of insights from when we launched the Coronitas. It helps keep the beer colder because it's seven ounces instead of 12 ounces. It's really cute and really kind of speaks to consumer opportunity for, for those Modelo fans. So we also have the Modelitos out there now. Well, now I'll have to sample. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.